So 1 John chapter 1, 5 to 10. This is our reading for this morning. I invite you to follow along with me. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray again. Father, what John writes here is difficult to receive. And indeed, we see our sinfulness even in just reading what John writes. And so be with us. Send your light, which both reveals and saves. Again, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, right before I got married, uh, I went uh, tree planting. And before you think uh, me manly, if you don't know me, you might think that. Um, before you think that, uh, know that I was a very bad uh, tree planter, which might not surprise many of you. I was a very bad tree planter. It was, it was to make money for the wedding. And so I decided I'll go tree planting. And, and I went there. And about a month and a half later, when I quit, I had broken even with all my gear and the camp expenses. I had broken even. I'd made zero money with this entire expedition. But when you're tree planting, and you've planted before, you know this, every day largely begins the same. Uh, you wake up, you go eat breakfast, and then you get driven out uh, to the block, or sometimes flown out uh, to the block, where you'll pick up often on the work of the day before. Except part of the reason I was bad at tree planting is I could never remember where I had planted the day before. And that's a problem, because if you plant in the same place you planted the day before, you're planting trees on top of each other, and the spacing is off. And all those trees need to be pulled up out of the ground. Whole afternoons were wasted. Money was not made as I replanted row after row after row. Again, did I say it? I was a bad tree planter. And I want to suggest this morning, as much as that wasn't a fiscally good endeavor that I undertook. It was something where I learned something. See, if you begin in the wrong place, if you begin in the wrong place, you will inevitably end up somewhere you don't want to be. If you begin in the wrong place, you will end up somewhere you don't want to be. And as we come to 1 John 1, 5 to 10 this morning, Here's the premise I want to propose to you. When it comes to God, when it comes to God, where you begin determines where you end up. Again, when it comes to God, where you begin determines where you end up. And here's what I mean by that. 
what you and I believe to be foundationally true about the nature and character of God will determine further down the line how you and I relate to him and know him and enjoy him and indeed other people in the everyday stuff of life. will determine if we can build on last week whether or not you and I will walk in the truth. This is, I think, the very argument John wants to make in 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. I want to give you the outline, and we'll walk through this and see our text in this way. First, God is light. So my first point is God is light. Second, we walk in darkness. So God is light. We walk in darkness. And then the third point will be how we walk in the light. So God is light. We walk in darkness. And how we walk in the light. Let's go to point one together. God is light. If you have your Bibles, 1 John 1 verse 5. Read that with me. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, there are times when we're reading our Bibles where we come across statements like, like God is love or God is faithful or God is just. And while those statements are very deep, can be mined for a ton of riches, we generally understand those statements almost immediately, right? Love, justice, faithfulness. These are all qualities we are familiar with as descriptors of a person, right? You and I have told someone else that they're faithful or they're just before. But there are other times when we come across passages like what we just read, where John says something like, God is light. And it is not immediately obvious what John is talking about. And it's important we understand what John means when he says God is light and in him is no darkness at all because this is the message he says that he received from Jesus and that he now pastorally and by the Spirit has discerned that this congregation needs to hear. Whatever it means, John has decided, again, by the Spirit, that this is the message that this church needs to hear, these churches need to hear. And so what does it mean? That's our first question. What does it mean that God is light? If I can for a second, I'll put on my, my teaching hat. I want to just teach us a little bit about a, bit of a biblical theology of light, of how God is understood in relationship to light throughout the entire Bible. See, first, when the Bible talks about God being light, we could first say it refers to his work of revelation and salvation. It refers to his work of revelation and salvation. If you know the Exodus story, and we're in Exodus now in our Bible reading plan, if you know the Exodus story, you see the role of light really, really clearly, and you will see it really clearly in the coming weeks. God reveals himself to Moses, right? Tells him his name by light of the fire of a burning bush. God reveals his law, how life is best lived on Mount Sinai, descending on this mountain in a fire, Exodus reads. So God's light exposes the truth. 
truth about who he is and the truth about who we are, which is good and great, but also bad and not so great. It's sort of like walking into a, a fancy hotel room and things look beautiful and nice and then turning off the lights and using a, a black light in that same room. I don't need to elaborate. Not so fancy anymore, right? Not so comforting anymore. That's what God's light does. It reveals the truth of the situation. But the good news is that God's light is not only revealing, it is also saving. Let's stay in Exodus. For example, when all seems lost in the wilderness, as Israel flees from Egypt, God sends a cloud by day and a pillar of fire, of light by night to guide his people. This is difficult for us to understand in our world, our world as light-polluted as it is. Just a tremendous weight of darkness that would descend upon the ancient world each evening. Fire and light, or the rising sun, not only revealed what was true of a situation, right, revelation, but often this light was our way out of our tricky situation, right? Salvation. But in addition to God's light, referring to his works of revelation and salvation, in the Bible, it perhaps most fundamentally refers to his character, who he is. Yes, John wants to tell his readers and you and me what God does, but he wants to say that ultimately these works of light come from a God who is light, meaning a God who is holy, a holy God who is entirely good. One commentator says this, light symbolizes really simply the flawless perfection of God. We could simply say, God is good and evil can have no place beside him. This is where John wants us to begin. Not only in his letter, but in our life. This is where John wants us to begin with the holiness, the complete goodness, the complete glorious otherness of God who is unlike you and unlike me. And if we're being honest, that's often not where we begin. We, we think of God like us. Isn't that what Joan Osborne sang in that song in the 90s, right? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Right? A mixed bag of ethical impulses. Some good, but some bad. And no wonder we lack peace. No wonder we lack assurance. No, no wonder we lack joy. If God is as ethically fickle and unreliable as me and you. But God is not like us. See, see, John does not allow room for misinterpretation. Did you notice the double negative at the end of that verse? In him is no darkness, John says, at all. At all. Not even a hint. Not even a fracture. 
In him is no darkness, John says, at all. And what we have to see now is that the truth of who God is will contrast sharply with the truth of who we are. This is point two. So God is light, and now point two, we walk in the darkness. I don't know if you notice this, but three times in our text, John began a verse by saying, if we say, if we say, if we say. And the idea here is that John is refuting, coming against actual sayings that were being taught by false teachers in and amongst those to whom he wrote. When he says, if we say, they know what he's referring to. He's referring to these these false teachers and their teaching. And so look at verses 6 and 8 and 10 with me. I want us to see these teachings for what they are. Look at verse 6 in 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And again, look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, before we get into these false teachings, perhaps first we need to see that John makes a connection between walking in darkness and sin. Walking in darkness and sin. For John, to walk in the light is to walk in the truth of who God is. To walk in the truth of who we should be, indeed who we are created to be. And to walk in God's good world, in God's good way. That is walking in the light in a nutshell. But sin then, or as John calls it, walking in the darkness, is then to utterly reject God. To utterly reject His self-revelation, and then to utterly reject His salvation. To disagree with Him in the most profound way about the situation. What's going on in this world? What is true about this world? That's how John sees sin here. And with that in mind, look at verse 6 again. The the first teaching John wants to refute, come up against, sounds like this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's the idea that John is refuting. Ready? You and I can be in fellowship with God simply by virtue of saying we are, of declaring we are. And here's why this is not true. God is light. And as we've seen, God's light is an all-encompassing, all-exposing light. A light penetrating not only our speech life, but our doing life, our entire way of being. Everything, both what we say and what we do. Which means, and I I love the language that John uses here, our fellowship with God himself is shown as you and I do what? Do, Do you see it? 
as we practice the truth. We practice the truth. I love that phrase. And culturally speaking, I want us to notice something here that is so important. We live in a world where we think that if we say something in person, online, in an Instagram post, in an article, wherever, we live in a world where we think if we say something to be true, it is therefore true. Right? If I say it, that's my truth. And we think this way because truth has been boiled down for us to a set of propositions. Propositions that you and I can play with, not grounded in anything or anyone. They're just propositions to be played with. But that is not how John thinks of truth. This is so important, Christian, for how you think in this world. John thinks of truth as, yes, being a correct set of beliefs. That's true, but it's more than that. These truths are something you and I are to walk in and practice and embody. And we are to do all this as we are rooted and grounded in the immovable, capital T, truth. Do you see that? Do you see why where we begin matters? So yes, truth is proclaimed. We speak true things. But now we see that truth, it also must be practiced. That is to walk in the light. See, we say, I can say and do two different things. But John says, your practice proves your proclamation. Let me say that again. John says, and he'll come back to this time and time again, your practice proves the legitimacy of your proclamation. And the practice of those to whom he writes has exposed them, as John so gently puts it, as liars. You don't have fellowship with God. That's the first false teaching. Let's keep on going. If the first false teaching says, I can live and say whatever I want, the second false teaching only solidifies this thinking even further, this mode of thinking even further. Look at 1 John verse one, sorry, chapter 1, verse 8 with me. And there John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here's the false teaching. Not only can I separate my word from my actions when it comes to how I live, frankly, since coming to my new anointed understanding of God and the world and right and wrong, I haven't sinned at all. Those to whom John writes sincerely believed that they had sinned at all. At all. And before we, we write them off as people who were obviously completely like unaware of, of who they are, right? I want you to hear what they're saying because there is something here for us today. See, as we'll discover later in 1 John, uh, these false teachers will claim to have a sp specific uh, anointing. 
a specific anointing. At John's time, there were a mix of religions, sort of a whole smorgasbord of religions that have been generally called Gnostic by historians and sociologists. Gnostic coming from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. And this group of religions believed that they had some sort of special anointing, special knowledge that differentiated them from the rest of those sort of suckers, the rest of those religious believers. It's this Gnostic way of thinking. We have this special, enlightened understanding. In in fact, they had claimed, and they claimed to have inherited a view of the world that had moved beyond John's archaic view of sin and the incarnation of Jesus and all that stuff. Does that sound familiar? There are several anointings being claimed today that seek to move us beyond sin, beyond the incarnation, beyond Jesus. John's false teachers could easily be liberal and progressive Christians, right? Having received the anointing of the sexual revolution, the insight of the gender spectrum, sexual sin is now a thing of the past, right? We live in this new anointed, liberated age. John's false teachers could also just as easily have been Christian nationalists. The type who storm public offices because Paul's command to submit to governing authorities, to love thy neighbor, clearly couldn't envision a world as evil as ours. So defining sin like that, no, that's just naive. We've moved past that sort of definition of sin. We have a new, enlightened, anointed understanding of the matter. Do you see, Christ City? These old heresies, these old, old, old heresies are alive and well among us. But we're not done. There's one more. And and the third false teaching concerning sin, concerning walking in darkness, this, this teaching seeks to chop down the whole tree. Look at verse 10 with me. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, him is God, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. At at first glance, verse 10 sounds a lot like verse 8. They sound very similar, like John is repeating himself, which John does do, but I don't think that's what's happening here. Verse 8 was a matter of self-deception. Verse 10 is a matter of us trying to deceive God. Which doesn't work out too well. Right? God declares, and this is true from Genesis to Revelation, that the entire human race has sinned. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Not only sinned in action, but sinned in our very nature. We are born not in the light, but born rather in darkness. It's in our bones, our DNA, if you will. But this third false teaching says, no. Not only can I separate my words from my actions, and not only have I committed no sin since coming to my new anointed understanding of things, This third teaching, which John sought to refute, says this. Actually, I'm fundamentally good. 
The humans are fundamentally good. And if we are fundamentally good, it is us, humanity, who are the light. And in us, humanity, there is no darkness at all. Do you see the reversal that takes place there? And if we believe this, John says, really succinctly, his word is not in us. In some ways, please hear me on this, the human race is beautifully creative, amazingly inventive, amazing. But when it comes to sin, can't you see? Old false teachings recycled themselves in new and fashionable ways. Sinful ways and patterns, darkness that keep you and I, indeed whole cities, from walking in the light of God. Ways and patterns that keep us in darkness. And if this has been happening since John's day, and surely it happened before John's day, who are we to suggest it could stop in our day? What, what hope do you and I have? If you're feeling a bit hopeless right now, come with me to our third point. How we walk in the light. So God is light, we walk in the darkness, and I will end with this, how you and I, how we walk in the light. We skipped over two verses in examining these false teachings. I want us to look at verses 7 and 9, which we passed over, and those are good news verses to us. If you have your Bible again, read them with me. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Again, we hear that word cleanse. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We began this morning with a premise. Where we begin with God determines where we end up, how we live, how we interact to God and to one another. And I've emphasized, haven't I? The, the otherness of God, his transcendence, his holy difference. But that's not the whole Christian story. John will write in his prologue to his gospel, I invite you to turn with me to John 1. John will write in his prologue to his gospel, these words. Read them with me, verses uh, 1 to verse 5. This is how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now listen, Christ City. Look at verses 4 and 5. In him was life. Listen. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, I say, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Unable to generate light on our own. 
without the gnosis, the knowledge, without the understanding or the insight, wandering in darkness, enter Jesus. Enter Christ. Jesus, who through his violent death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, the darkness has not overcome it, cleanses us, John says, forgives us of all our sin. This isn't just a one-time thing. But in 1 John, the sense is this is an ongoing reality. So as we walk with Jesus, as we walk in the light and stumble and fall and sin, He continues to forgive us as we go to Him. It's an ongoing reality. That's what John's talking about here. And if you've heard this before, good. We say it every single Sunday. And we will say it every single Sunday. This is the gospel message. This is where every single person who knows Jesus on this call hangs their hat. This is life and death for them and for me. Though God is entirely unlike us, in Jesus, He becomes entirely like us, yet without sin. Though God is far away, in Christ, the holy God comes near. Though the light was only faintly glimpsed through bushes and fires and pillars, Jesus comes near as man to be the light of men. And we see clearly, indeed, John has already said, we have touched the light, seen the light, smelt the light. Jesus is the light who brings revelation and salvation. And he is the light that you and I are to now walk in. How do we do this? How do we do this? The answer John gives us this morning, our, our sort of application, if you will, about how we live this out might surprise many of us, especially those of you who come and grew up in a Protestant tradition who, who, who don't like this word. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John gives us confession. And let me end by saying two very quick things about confession. First is this, when we confess, we tell God and we tell others that we see and understand sin for what it is, an act of darkness against a holy God who is light. And some of you on this call right now have never ever had the joy of confessing your sin not only to God, but to a brother or sister in Christ. Let me encourage you. Find a person, find a people, to confess your sin to. That person, to be clear, does not have the power to absolve you of sin. Further, we don't do this so that we can share in our sin together and together we can feel, well, I'm not that bad because they also do this bad thing. No. We confess that you may invite more light into your darkness. That other person, John tells us in this gospel, is now the light. 
Jesus has passed his light to us. And when we confess our sin to one another, that person has the power to preach the gospel to you, to bring light to bear on your situation. And that's a joyous, wonderful thing. Is there anything sweeter than having a brother or sister in Christ and hearing them speak the gospel over you in response to your confession? That's the first thing. And that's why the second thing confession does is bring us into true fellowship with one another. John says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, John says things sometimes that are hard to understand, at least for me. And so we should ask, what does he mean when he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another? How are those things connected? Uh, to show you what John means, I want to read you a quote, a, a quote from a pastor I heard this week named Jared Wilson. And he says this on the connection between walking in the light and having fellowship with one another. Let me read this to you. One connection we do not often make is how walking in the light is connected to having fellowship with one another. And the connection is this. If we are not willing to step into the truth of confession, repentance, faithfulness, and humility, all that entails, no one can be in real relationship with the real us. Let me say it again. If we are not willing to step into the truth of confession, repentance, faithfulness, and the humility, all that entails, no one can be in real relationship with the real us. The less we are in the light, he continues, the less the true us is known. Whole relationships carry on in the dark sometimes, especially in churches where everyone is in relationship with everybody's projected version of themselves with facades. When we walk in the light together, then we have fellowship, like real fellowship. And as we close, I want to challenge you this year. Will you let the church, will you let us be in real relationship with the real you? I don't know about you, but I am sick of portraying a false version of myself and being with, in relationships with people who are also portraying a false version of themselves. When we walk in the light, then you and I can know what it is to have true fellowship with one another. And I know, I hear the objection, walking in the light isn't easy. It is painful. It is exposing and awkward. And for some of us right now, it is downright shameful. And if that's you, I want you to first know as I know what you feel because that is so often me. And I want you to hear these words from another pastor, a guy named Ray Ortland, as we close. He writes this, Those places of deepest shame are where the Lord Jesus loves us the most tenderly. Let me say that again. Those places of deepest shame are where the Lord Jesus loves us the most tenderly. 
Is there any reason, he asks, is there any reason not to walk in his light together where we recover fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? And the answer is no. There is no reason, no good reason that keeps us and should keep us from walking in the light this year. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess, I confess this morning, we could spend ages here. And yet you have sovereignly, by your plan, appointed this word in this time to accomplish your purpose. I'm thankful that your word goes out and does not come back empty. That it always accomplishes your will. And so, Lord, would your word now, having been heard by your people, accomplish your will in your people and in me and all of us as we seek to walk in the light. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.